0: I almost got kicked out of George Washington's house. For what? Chewing gum. Really? Yeah, can you believe that?
1: I mean, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, he said like, sir, sir, this is a museum. And I appreciate that. I'm glad. But I've been in lots of museums. And you have this like grown person who's just quietly chewing gum, reading pamphlets.
1: (laughs) And they were going to kick you out? For yeah. quietly chewing your gum while reading pamphlets?
0: Yeah, so anyway, I had to do, like, the pretend, tuck my gum away, but there's, like, no trash cans around, so I just did, like, the fake tuck, and I know he, he knew I was, like, fake tuck. tucking it.
1: <laughs> just for his, like, satisfaction, or so he can't get blamed, I guess.
0: It was, like, a huge tour group there. It was, like, 30 people all staring at me. I was, like, and, and everybody knew that Everyone, I was Everyone,
1: like, stopped to look at you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and there's, like, other people who are chewing gum, and, like, they're tucking, like, they're, like... Can... Everyone's
1: like, quickly, this one's getting in trouble, so now we have to stop. Yeah, so like, you can see
0: them like tucking it into their cheeks.
1: <laughs> Is that you guys just like all mass tucked your gums?
0: Yes, it's like the middle <laughs> of the summer. I mean, that's how you keep your mouth moist. But yeah, there's like other places I wanted to go to, but like, I'm like scared to now. Like Monticello, that place sounds like really nice.
1: But you won't go because you're afraid you'll have to tuck your gum?
0: Yeah. I'm Dr. Dustin Edwards.
1: And I'm Faith Cox. Welcome to Germomics, where we go to B from a, in the most roundabout way, a mix of microbiology and history. In this series, we connect different aspects of modern life in society to microbes through seemingly unconnected natural events, discoveries, and inventions. Um, So how does almost getting kicked out of George Washington's house for chewing gum connect to cannibalism and infectious disease? Let's find out. So you said you wanted to go to Monticello, right?
0: It's a really interesting building, to my knowledge. Thomas Jefferson spent like 40 years of his life designing and redesigning that building. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He spent like almost all of his life doing it. And he had a lot of it redone while he was president.
1: I didn't know that. How large is Monticello?
0: I'm not sure. I mean, it's got the dome on top. I think there's a room up on that top story, like a rotunda, But I obviously haven't been there. There's a, a wing on the right and a wing on the left, and there's um, uh, it was a plantation, of course. So there was lots of buildings from the enslaved workers there. Yeah. So it's almost like a little village, and there was some gardens and things like that.
1: I didn't know that Monticello like had all of that. It makes sense. I never think about how um, places that were plantations had to provide a place for. Their slaves to sleep and.
0: Now, that was a big feature there at uh, George Washington's house, which was Mount Vernon, and so there's of course the large house, the main house, but then there was lots of other buildings and the, and the barns and where all the animals were at, and they did a really great job, really telling the story of all the people who worked there, uh, how they lived their lives, how their lives were quite different than that of George Washington. Yeah,
1: I would imagine so. <laughs> Um, so Thomas Jefferson was obviously a founding father who played a really large role in the American Revolution. He represented Virginia in the Continental Congress. He was the second governor of Virginia. He was the U.S. Minister of France. He was the first secretary of state. And along with James Madison, he organized the Democratic-Republican Party to oppose the Federalists, which um, led to the creation of like the two-party system that we currently have. He was the second vice president of the U.S. and then the third president of the U.S., during which time he organized the Louisiana Purchase, the Lewis and Clark Expedition, and then he signed an act prohibiting the import of slaves in 1807.
0: He also wrote that little thing called the Declaration of Independence, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. He was uh, like the main author of the Declaration of Independence. Those are like really well-known things about him, though. That was kind of the legacy he left. What a lot of people don't know, though, is that he like,
0: well, he also made the University of Virginia, and whenever he wrote his epitaph, he has this large, like, obelisk for his grave marker, and okay. the epitaph is on there. And he wrote down three of his main accomplishments.
1: Like what, the three he was, like, most proud of?
0: Yes. Being oh, okay. president of the United States was not one.
1: <laughs> I. I- I can't imagine being president and then being like, you know what? We're just going to not include that in my top three, top three moments.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're Thomas Jefferson, he had a lot of like top moments.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um. <laughs> so what a lot of people don't know is he was also a fan of like maple sugar. And so.
0: What's maple sugar? Is that like brown sugar?
1: No, it's not brown sugar. Do you even know what brown sugar is?
0: It's sugar that's brown. It's sweet.
1: Okay. Yeah. And sticky. Brown sugar is like blended with molasses to give it that consistency and like moistness. Maple sugar is from maple trees. It's just like the sap, super, super, super reduced to a crystalline uh, state. Thomas Jefferson was friends with a man named Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was a really big proponent of maple sugar. Rush actually hosted a tea party with several guests, including Alexander Hamilton, and all of the guests agreed that maple sugar was just as sweet as cane sugar. The importance behind this is that Russia's goal was to lessen or destroy the consumption of West Indian sugar and thus indirectly destroy Negro slavery. Supporters of Russia's push for maple sugar claimed that the sugar made at home would taste inherently sweeter to Americans because it wasn't tainted, and Jefferson was interested in it for, like, that reason— but also in the politics behind getting people to switch to cultivating maple sugar instead of cane sugar. So he thought that if everyone played their cards right, the U.S. could supply half of the world's sugar needs using maple sugar. Um, he saw no reason that people can't like have orchards of maple trees for this supply to be met. Because like, apparently they had just like orchards. Or- orchards? Is that the word? Mm-hmm. Okay, orchards of... um apple trees. I didn't realize like having your own apple orchard was like a thing, but it was.
0: Yeah, they use it to make like apple cider.
1: Yeah, I I like I knew I had heard of it, but I thought it was kind of one of those things that like it's overly emphasized. Like like the whole idea of like uh George Washington having wooden teeth, it wasn't like really true, but for some reason it continued to get passed along. I thought it was like one of those things. You have nothing to say to this?
0: Most of the founding fathers were farmers. They had
1: well, I know that, but I didn't crops. I didn't realize like everyone had like apple trees specifically. I thought that was like an exaggeration, but apparently not. Anyways, Jefferson was like so obsessed with these maple trees that he had 60 of them like imported and planted at Monticello. They all died, though, from my understanding on the Monticello website. It says there might be like one remaining, but the rest of them died.
0: How long is a maple tree even going to live for? It's been couple hundred years now right
1: well, yeah oh yes um but like on the website it specified that in his lifetime all but eight died and then after that like two more died or they took them somewhere else and now it's dwindled in that time since he was alive down to like the original one just just one and even then they're not sure about that one it might have been imported by him it might have already been there they don't know he didn't like plot exactly where he put the trees Jefferson and Rush's push for maple sugar uh, didn't take off in the way that they had hoped. It did take off enough though that people continued using it after their deaths and people took it with them on the Oregon Trail actually.
0: Like the video game. Did they, did everybody die from dysentery on that one?
1: No, actually a lot more people died of cholera than dysentery. Oh. Yeah. From my understanding dysentery is just like when you have um blood in your stool so it's kind of there could be like multiple things causing that.
0: The other thing that would kill me in that game was um, you had to ford a river. Okay. And the, the wagon would just get swept away.
1: Oh. Oh. When you cross the rivers. Yeah, yeah. I died a lot in that game. Like, a lot, a lot.
0: Yeah, so what about the Oregon Trail?
1: Um, okay, yeah. So the Oregon Trail was a 2,170-mile trail from east to west that connected the Missouri River to the valleys in Oregon. The trail was originally laid by fur traders and trappers in between 1811 and 1840. It was considered more complete, per se, in 1840, whenever it was like trampled enough that wagons could go through. About that time, several guidebooks started coming out to help people more efficiently travel to the West.
0: So, the Michelin Guide, you always hear about fancy restaurants, like they have like, you know, the two stars or one star. Oh. So, that's actually. Michelin Tire Company, I think. And what? they yeah, so they made a I think it started in Europe and since cars were new and they want you to buy like more tires, they made this guide of all these wonderful places you could visit. So you'd
1: wear out your tires?
0: Yeah, yeah. And anyway they, they started like mapping it out and that became the Michelin guide to restaurants. But now it's like this fancy thing, but it goes back to tires.
1: Guide folks sound manipulative. So just a few like foods that immigrants might take with them were 200 pounds of flour per adult, 60 pounds of beans, 150 pounds of bacon, 40 pounds of sugar, um, a whole keg of rendered beef fat to use as a butter substitute. Some immigrants would drive cattle with them instead of packing so much meat. And you might think that they were taking like a lot of canned foods. But candy technology was actually rather new during the time of the Oregon Trail, and so it was more expensive to take. So maybe like your your rich families were taking it, but for the most part, the average immigrant was not. Immigrants would also pick currants and berries they found along the trail along the way, and that vitamin C actually helped them avoid scurvy. I don't know about you, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was more common back then to like know your plants and like wildlife, but I would be afraid of eating something that was like bad for you.
0: My understanding, a lot of the people that were traveling West were not pioneer people like you would think. So they're mostly like middle class people. Like if if my family or your family were to...
1: Just like hop on a wagon and go.
0: Yeah. I mean, how much do we really know? I I know what poison ivy looks like. I I don't. I know not to eat that.
1: I don't know what it looks like.
0: (laughs) Um, Some berries, I know what they look like. You know, blackberries, blueberries, strawberries. Yeah,
1: but aren't there sometimes like poisonous versions of things that look the same?
0: I don't know, but there's tons of berries that are poisonous and tons of mushrooms. My mom told me when she was a, a teenager they used to eat mushrooms they found in the woods.
1: Oh, God. Well,
0: they knew what they were looking for. I have no clue.
1: My bet's just like to stay out of the woods. If I were to get trapped in the woods or have to like travel along a trail and like forage to survive, I would just die. I'm same with hunting. I can't hunt if I were to have to like to have to survive on like hunting or fishing or any kind of like acquiring my food from the environment, I'd just be left to die. So there was a famous group that used the Oregon Trail called the Donner Party. You familiar with them?
0: A little bit. I just know it's a tragic tale of improper planning and not starting soon enough.
1: Yeah. So um, what they did was they left from Missouri on the Oregon Trail and were headed to California and they chose to take this uh, newly formed cutoff or shortcut called Hastings Cutoff. And doing that, along with a series of mistakes, caused them to become behind on like their planned trip. And they left at a time that had everything gone perfectly. It would have ended just in time. But since they made that mistake, it caused them to get lost for a whole month. And they had to leave a bunch of their supplies behind on the trail. And they ended up getting trapped at a lake during the winter and almost starving to death. Those who survived survived by resorting to cannibalism.
0: And they were almost all the way there, correct? Like they had made it 90% of the way?
1: Yeah, they, they had made it through like a good chunk. They had made it through the majority of their trip by the time this happened. It still took rescue workers like two months to get to them because the snowfall like winter was so bad.
0: Oh yeah, I've seen uh, pictures of the, their area. They had made cabins or had modified some cabins, and they had chopped some trees down. and uh, this picture was taken well after the fact, and these tree stumps were about 12 feet high, and it's yeah. not that they were you know climbing up the trees and cutting them down. Just the snow was so high at the time that you know they cut the tree down, so it was probably like a one or two foot stump.
1: So they became so, like, emaciated and close to death that eventually they, like, stopped moving. And so the rescue workers had to, like, dig them out of the snow, even though they were still alive. They were just being, like, buried alive by snow towards the end. So as a whole, there were 87 people who originally went on the trip. Only 48 survived.
0: And you said there was cannibalism? How many were eaten?
1: Um... Roughly 18 people were eaten, raging in the ages between 3 to 60 or 62. They didn't eat everyone because some people died on their own before it got to that point, but once they got trapped at the lake is when they started eating people. So there are several different types of cannibalism that like exist in the world. There is exocannibalism, which is when you're eating someone from like outside of your village or community or group, so that may be like what a serial killer would do, like Jeffrey Dahmer.
0: Well, with the Donner Party, there's eighty something people. Were they all related to each other?
1: Um, they, mm, yes and no. So there were several large families that were there, but there are also like smaller groups of families. Um, it was like a if a community went. So a, would that count as community. an exo? I don't know because so some of them met on the trail. So I, I, I don't know. Indo-cannibalism, though, is when you're eating from within, like, your own community or family or tribe. And so that may have been what the Donner Party did, but more so, it's really common for people to do, like, ritual cannibalism that way or funerary cannibalism.
0: On the topic of ceremonial cannibalism, I always think about the foray people on Papua New Guinea who would um, have a ritualistic ceremony and consumption of their dead
1: yeah so they would um eat their dead because they considered that by eating like the corpse they were they were um returning the life force back to their community
0: so i guess they would bury their relatives for extended periods of time until there was actually maggots yeah that would appear and then they would dig them up and then they would boil the remains and then would eat them. And it was generally the the children and the women who would eat these body parts.
1: That's what I read, that it was the women and children for the most part. Um, I've read conflicting reports, though, on how exactly the meat was being divided.
0: However, what is known is that they did bury their dead and that they did do preparations of their corpses, including maybe cleaning the skull.
1: In some manner, they were coming into pretty direct contact with brain tissue, um, which is part of the central nervous system.
0: So something happened with the Foray a people. Uh, the women and children of uh, villages were starting to die in the thousands. And it was a mysterious disease. And so researchers eventually came to the island, to study the foray and to figure out what was going on.
1: To cut to the end of the story, what was going on in the community was that there was a prion disease being spread. A prion is a proteinaceous infectious particle. They are misfolded proteins with the ability to transmit their misfolded shape onto normal variants of the same protein. It's unknown exactly like the mechanism they use to do this. They can take a normal protein and then cause it to misfold into the wrong variant of the protein.
0: In textbooks, when you look at figures of prions, you can think of the regular protein as being like a circle and the prion as being a square. And what the prion does is that it can interact somehow with the regular protein, the circle, and turn it into a square like itself. So now that regular protein is misfolded and has a different shape.
1: PRP has a normal form, and that's what's expressed in a normal person. That is PRPC. The C stands for cellular. Whenever it's in the prion disease form, though, that is PRPSC, which stands for scrapie.
0: Which was the first disease that was recognized as uh, eventually being a prion disease. It occurred in sheep. And they called it scrapey because the sheep would kind of scrape their their bodies up against things and so there was these abrasions all over.
1: PRPC is a normal protein found on the membranes of cells. and mainly has an alpha helical structure so it's um like a finger or a cylinder. But PRPSC causes these alpha helices to fold into beta pleated sheets which would give them more of the structure that's flat like a palm rather than a finger. Once misfolded, the... Prions cause neurodegenerative disease by aggregating extracellularly in the central nervous system to form plaques, which are areas of cell death, specifically called amyloids. These can disrupt the normal tissue structure and cause a spongy appearance. And that's why these transmissible prion diseases are called transmissible spongiform encephalopathy because the brain starts to get this spongy appearance when you look at it on the slide.
0: Under a microscope.
1: Under a microscope.
0: And so for the foray, during that process, their funerary process, the women and the children were either consuming brain matter or they were at least cleaning the skull and perhaps acquiring the agent that way. The prion was definitely concentrated in the brain tissue.
1: The disease that the foray people had ended up being Kuru disease. The name Kuru comes from the New Guinea word for trembling, Due to the body tremors that are a classic symptom of the disease as a result of cerebral ataxia. Ataxia is the loss of muscle control and coordination.
0: When you look at video of the foray that had been afflicted by the disease, so when you watch them stand or try to walk, it was very unsteady. Uh, It looks like they would start to take a step forward and maybe not be able to support themselves on that leg or they'll kind of go from one one foot to the other foot other footage that i saw in which uh, they would try to have the the afflicted persons try to touch their fingertips together and they were unable to do so so they would end up missing their fingertips so kind of like a loss of hand-eye coordination but they would try to get it together but i guess just from the trembling or just inability to control their their movements
1: Yeah, so uh, Kuru and prion diseases in general are really scary because they can have long incubation periods. Um, So Kuru averaged 10 to 13 years, but it could be as short as 5 and as long as 50 years or more after the initial exposure. There were three main stages of disease progression, but there was kind of a prodromal symptom or a period in some people where they just started having headaches and joint pain, but not everyone exhibited that. The first or ambulance stage was what Dr. Edwards is talking about with the unsteady stance and gait. They had decreased muscle control, tremors, difficulty pronouncing words, and titubation, which is just um, like repeated, uh, almost rhythmic, like muscle spasms. It was called the ambulance stage because at that point, the individual could still walk around despite their symptoms. The secondary or sedentary stage, the person became incapable of walking without support their ataxia and developed to the point of severe tremors. Um, They begin exhibiting emotional instability and depression and also kind of uncontrolled and sporadic laughter. So their their facial muscles would contract in a manner where it appeared they were smiling. And some people say they were laughing. Some people say they weren't because of the emotional instability. You can't really determine whether they were laughing or smiling along with their muscle spasms. So the third, final, or terminal stage, their ataxia would progress to the point where the individuals could no longer sit without support, they would develop a difficulty swallowing which would lead to severe malnutrition, they may become incontinent, and they may lose the ability or will to speak and become unresponsive to their environment despite still being conscious. Towards the end of the third stage, patients would often develop chronic ulcerated wounds that could become easily infected, and then roughly three months to two years after those terminal symptoms started to appear, the patient would die, often due to pneumonia or infection from those wounds. Um, So something that's really scary about Kuru and prion diseases in general is that there's no cure or treatment, so once you start exhibiting symptoms, there's nothing anyone can do for you.
0: That's correct. The disease has been 100% fatal.
1: Historical research suggests that the epidemic started around 1900 from an individual who developed sporadic Ruchfield-Jakob disease and then was subsequently eaten. After that, the disease spread. Prion diseases can be inherited or they can just form spontaneously. You could also accidentally contract one through cannibalism.
0: What's interesting is that there is a mutation that has occurred among the Foray people that prevent them from having misfolded proteins. Yeah, I read that. So it's a glimpse at human evolution. Yeah. In
1: 1957, Daniel Carlton Gaidacek began studying Kuru. He actually went to go live among the Foray people to study the disease. And then after that, he returned to the U.S., where he established the first experimental tests on chimpanzees for Kuru at the National Institutes of Health. He did this by drilling holes into the chimpanzee's head and then placing pureed brain matter from a patient who had died of Kuru disease into the cerebellum of the monkeys.
0: Gatacek had uh, tried in other animal models as well, but was completely unsuccessful with those. What was different about the chimpanzees was that he actually went for a longer amount of time with them. And so by delaying the experiment, Remember, with prions, it has a long incubation period. And so up to this point, they didn't know if it was really a transmissible disease or not because they couldn't move it from one host to another host. And they also couldn't find any genetic material. So there wasn't any DNA or RNA to indicate that it was a virus. So he just called it kind of like an atypical virus, even though in reality, prions are not a virus.
1: By inoculating the monkeys with this pureed brain matter, he was able to prove that it was indeed transmissible, even though, like you said, he wasn't able to isolate or identify the protein that was causing it. In nineteen seventy-six, Gaidachek went on to win the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine regarding his work with Kuru disease.
0: I think a science and society message from what we talked about today is how looking at the foray people and their traditions that we do things in our own cultures that are also unhealthy for us. And so we can look at sugar. We go to a gas station, there's a 44-ounce Coca-Cola. That's like 380 calories and several grams of sugar. Yeah, And it leads to obesity, it leads to diabetes, or something else in the news recently with religious practices spreading herpes. And so, whenever you're looking at these the primitive foray people and thinking, "Well, they did this to themselves," we have to think about what some of our behaviors Are do doing to ourselves, where we're harming ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable takeaway Um, after we had the whole thing of people smoking cigarettes and people continuing to smoke cigarettes despite knowing they're bad for them or how we understand enough about lung diseases and smoking um, to know that we shouldn't really be like inhaling much of anything, but people continue to vape and juul. Thank you for listening to episode four, One Flew Over the Kuru's Nest. Show notes, transcripts, citations, and social media links are available on our website at germomics.com.
0: I had a cat that would wake up in the middle of the night and come watch me eat toaster strudels.
1: Toaster Strudels, but not Pop-Tarts?
0: Not Pop-Tarts. Pop-tarts are banned.
1: Pop-tarts are banned? Yes. What do you mean?
0: I had a bad incident with a Pop-Tart once.
1: Like what? What do you it's a like Pop-Tart, how bad could it be?
0: Okay, so they usually put them in a toaster. Yeah. And when I was in grad school, uh, I had a toaster and a broke, kind a cheap toaster. And so when it was time to get something else, I decided to try one of these toaster ovens. Okay. Like, yeah, I made the big time. And so <laughs> <laughs> these toaster ovens have a either a time setting or a temperature setting. Okay. And so whenever I was doing the the Pop-Tarts, I would do the time setting just like with the, with the toaster uh, except for one time I didn't. I accidentally hit the temperature setting and it was like all the way up. And so I'm cooking my Pop-Tart and I realize a lot of time has gone by and it hasn't like clicked yet. So I go into the kitchen and I open up the door, pull out the tray and molten sugar just like pours out over my hand and like hardens and so it's like burned.
1: Ow, ow. It just like seared onto your skin?
0: Yeah, it's like just went solid and I can't like, you had to, like pick it off and like oh it was awful so awful that pop-tarts are now banned
1: did you go to the doctor
0: no i mean it wasn't like the skin was coming off off it was just like i guess a second degree burn
1: ow i i yeah i probably stopped eating pop-tarts after that too
0: right so then i switched to toaster strudels and uh, i would do it at around midnight right before like bed
1: yeah yeah like the right time
0: right yeah i like watch you know a tv show and and do that (laughs) and uh, we had a cat that would come running in from the other room and would sit and watch me eat this toaster strudel and i would like offer portions of the toaster strudel to the cat and would have none of it it just wanted to like watch it was like a like a food voyeur was
1: it like (laughs) do you think it was like attracted to like the sound of eating flaky foods?
0: I don't know. Well, it was um, triggered by the sound of a toaster. Yeah, that's another thing, too. I threw out, the, <laughs> I threw out that toaster oven. In fact, I, like, dragged it down the uh, apartment stairs by its... Cord? By its power cord, yeah, and threw in the dumpster. So, yeah, those are also banned.
1: Toaster ovens are banned?
0: Yes, toaster ovens and Pop-Tarts are banned from my house.
1: What about if your kids want to try them? Th-
0: they're banned. Like they can are you
1: gonna hide like the existence of Pop Tarts? Yeah, they from can go them?
0: they can go hide behind a shed and eat the Pop Tarts.
1: <laughs> Shamefully.
0: <laughs> All right.